everyone, and thank you for the download. It's Friday, September 4th, and this is episode 27 of the Marty Called Podcast. I'm Tim Grassy, and today I'm joined by my co-host, Assault Nasaki. How's it going, Josh? It's going well. How are you, buddy? I'm doing well. An hour late, but I'm doing well. I noticed and, that. And Skipper Ben. What's up, Ben? Wakanda forever. <laughs> I don't know if you're actually drinking or you just have these sound effects. They sound very similar every show I was, that you've got. I this. was literally thinking the exact same thing. <laughs> it's real, baby. Yeah, yeah. So uh, you kicked it off with a Wakanda forever. Real baby. Um, MP3. <laughs> this this sucks. It, it, it's uh, no, no other way around it. Um, everybody knows at this point, uh, Chadwick Boseman passed away. Uh, most people will know him uh, by the many roles that he played, uh, most notably Black Panther for us Disney fans. Um, there's plenty of talk around the, uh, the Disney fan community about this putting in a Wakanda attraction. Um, I encourage people that are pushing for that to listen to uh, episode 27 of Jalen Harvey's podcast, uh, a podcast for all things, but mostly Disney. He had a guy on there um, that had a really cool idea for a, uh, for a concept for Epcot of all places. But I actually do think that there are some uh, uh, vibes of Black Panther that do fit into Epcot, especially that speech to the UN at the end of it. Uh, Josh is uh, unfamiliar with the Marvel Cinematic Universe other than Iron Man 2. I think that was the only one you saw because Elon Musk was in it. And Supergirl. <laughs> but yeah, other than that, uh, this uh, I think this hit Ben and I pretty hard because you know, forty-three-year-old man never should never should die, especially one that seemed to be the uh, uh, the literal uh, version of strength. He he represented that. So um, it, yeah, it even sucks. I know enough no to appreciate that. You certainly wouldn't look at the guy and think he was sick. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So uh, Ben, I don't know, uh, I don't know your, your thoughts on it, but oh, it was rough, uh, yeah. super rough. Uh, got the news uh, sitting next to my dad, who also has stage four colon cancer, has been fighting oh, it for about six years now, and uh, we're we're our co- we're comic book buddies. We we see every movie together. He won't see a single one without me. Uh, mainly because he doesn't know what the hell's going on in the MCU (laughs) and needs me to explain everything to him. Uh, So the way he passed away uh, hit very tough. uh, And and yeah, it was an absolute gut punch, uh, you know, just on a a fandom level. I'm a a massive fan of him, not just in with his work with Black Panther, uh, but in his other films, uh, 42, where he played Jackie Robinson. Uh, Oddly enough, you know, he passed away on Jackie Robinson Day yeah. Uh, in, in Major League Baseball. And that morning, I actually got to interview Jackie Robinson's daughter, Shan, uh, Sharon Robinson. Okay. Uh, and so it was just a, it was a really weird day for me overall because I just kind of had this like connection to everything that was going on. We produced some content that that for Jackie Robinson that night that we ran in our uh, television broadcast. And so just hearing that and knowing the connection that Chadwick had to that role uh, was really depressing. But then just going back and just thinking about Black Panther. I mean, I absolutely love that film. I love every every bit of it. I think uh I I think I could argue that it has the best character work and character development of any of the MCU films from uh you know the, from T'Challa to Shuri to all the I love Mbaku. I love uh Killmonger's you know, arguably you know, top two, three villain. Uh, I could hear cases for any of those. Uh, uh, he's fantastic. Uh, Michael B. Jordan in that role is just fantastic. That movie, top to bottom, is awesome. I remember seeing it, you know, three times in the theater. I watched it again on Sunday night when they uh, did the tri- tribute to Chadwick on ABC. Um, the, and then what he did in, in, in Infinity War, Endgame, you know, 
Black Panther just turned into the badass of the MCU. Anytime yep. we, we all loved Iron Man, we loved Captain America, but when Black Panther showed up, uh, you know somebody was gonna get their ass beat, and and uh, if they didn't get their ass beat, he was just portray- the 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 way he portrayed T'Challa so proper and just so regal and royal that you really believe this guy was the king of a country. Uh, he re- he just fell into that role. Owned it completely. Uh, it's going to be a huge, hu- it is a huge loss for for everybody, uh, not just MCU fans, but for fans uh, of movies, for fans of people who just wanted to do good in the world. This guy going to cancer, going to hospitals and visiting children with cancer while not disclosing that he was also having his own battle with cancer and still being able to do that, go to these places and do these for things for others while he was having his own private fight just is amazing. And, you know, some people have said this guy was a superhero and he really was a true life superhero. So, uh, we're going to miss him. And luckily though, we got these, you know, he had a, he had a really short career, uh, but one that but is hit a lot of home runs. It's going to leave a lasting imprint. We're going to be able to, uh, you know, watch this guy forever. His work matters. And, uh, you know, rest in peace. I think well said, Ben. Um, I don't want to uh, spend too much time on the downer, and I'm not meaning to uh, dismiss a man's life by any means. I just think that uh, that he will absolutely be missed. And I, I want to reiterate that the idea uh, of bringing a Wakanda attraction to the Disney parks is one that I would certainly welcome. And I actually think that conceptually the way that Disney does all of their Marvel things where they are almost self-aware of the fact that they're in a Disney park would be exceptionally fitting for the concept of the Wakanda Outreach Center. And there, there was an idea that was thrown out on, uh, on Jalen Harvey's uh, podcast that I mentioned earlier and the, uh, the Twitter handle is Parks with Peyton, who was his guest on that show. And he put out some concept art of what his idea was for it. It's very much in the vein of what we do. And I, I think it's, it's worth a listen. Um, so I, I encourage people to do that. And I'll post a link to that in our Facebook uh, group as well. Uh, but it is taking a, a, a tragedy and trying to come up with some good about it. So I'm, I'm uh, well, in favor it- of that. And, you know, the, the, the mythology of the Black Panther movies and the comics uh, actually lends itself in a way that they could create something that does pay respect to the work Chadwick did uh, because of, you know, when anybody takes over the, the role of the Black Panther before they take on that, uh, the, 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 the mantle of it, uh, they visit the ancestors and the Black Panthers that came before them. Yeah. Uh, and so the whole mythology of the afterlife and the looking to uh, your, 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 the, the ones who paved the way for you to the ones who are there now, uh, you definitely could do something that would, you could do it very tastefully around the world and, and the concept of Black Panther and also find ways that you could uh, pay tribute to T'Challa and T'Challa meaning Chadwick himself uh, in the parks, which I think a lot of people would appreciate uh, absolutely in some way. So absolutely. Uh, so so going to move away from that. Uh, the other big piece of news uh, that that matters to us in this case is that the Polynesian Village Resort uh, was set to reopen uh, within the next month or so, and they have pushed that back. Disney announced that it will be undergoing a significant refurbishment to the Grand Ceremonial House and uh, guest rooms, 
and they've said that it's going to have a Moana vibe, a, uh, a, I guess it's a Pacific Island vibe. Uh, the colors uh, in... Does it not already have a Pacific Island vibe? Right, exactly. Like, I, I think you're probably going to add a, a few more like light blues and things like that probably to the rooms themselves and perhaps the carpeting. But um, I can't imagine that they would you know, do a full-on repainting of the exterior where you got a lot of browns and oranges. But... Choice of more IP integration aside, I really think this is what they should be doing with the resorts, where you pull rooms out of inventory when the demand isn't there and give that refresh with the anticipation that once uh, people are uh, less afraid of traveling again, they will have a bright new resort to uh, uh, to visit. And people that are saying, hey, didn't this re- resort just get a refresh? Yes, but the rooms really didn't. Uh, the rooms are still very much in need of an update. So I don't know how much of this you guys looked into, if you had any thoughts on the need for it. But I don't, I don't hate the Moana thing. They already have a shop called Moana Mercantile. But is is Maui working the uh, security gate, welcoming cars in, or how's that working? Are they they going with he the could, full character yeah. integration? <laughs> what, what, Why not? Would he fit in that small box? It would be kind of funny to see it. Um, have you seen the the uh, Maui character that they have? He's he's huge. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> looks like me with my shirt off. <laughs> I mean, all I could say is with something like this, the devil's in the details, and yeah, I can't absolutely. help but get nervous when they go in there and start touching an opening day uh, resort like that. Because let's face it, they are definitely not immune to taking something that was great and making it into something that's somewhere in between terrible and mediocre. So uh, I hate to be one of those people that you know, just hates on change for the sake of change. But let's face it, we're talking about the Polynesian resort here. This is a monorail resort. Um, that's a, that's a pretty sacred bit of property. So they have not shown a light touch when it comes to injecting IP into existing properties. So yeah, I, I mean, my initial reaction was not a positive one. I think the, uh, you know, if, if I had to put an emoji on it, it's definitely a little crying face. When they say light touches of Moana, what they really mean is art of animation style statues yeah. <laughs> of hey hey uh, leading into each of the uh, buildings. It's better see. than pop. If there is a uh, bowling pin bolted to the front of the Polynesian <laughs> anywhere in the future, I'm going to be very upset. So often the room decor is you've got like colors and things inspired by various Disney movies or just whatever the the. Uh, uh, the resort is made to represent, and you might find a single piece of artwork that has Disney characters on it. Right. That's what I'm what I'm hoping for. I'm not uh, I'm not rooting for exactly as Penn said the art of animation. But let's motif. talk about that. Isn't that making what's already there worse? Not well. If you go into a uh, to a poly room right now, I'm guessing there's probably a, a painting with Mickey on it. So okay. So like that, make, that's what I'm talking about. So it's a lateral move then in your mind, most likely. Yeah. And, and like I know, and again, I haven't been into a poly room, gosh, in forever, but that's the type of theming that you see. You see like a single piece of artwork that is representative of a Disney character befitting of whatever the theme of that resort is. Tim, right. can, only, Tim can only afford all-star music. It's true. <laughs> With a knockoff like Demon Deacons logo that they have. Uh, that's not all-star sports, obviously, but yeah. <laughs> So, yeah, I mean, you're absolutely right, though, Josh. Uh, Devil's in the details here. Uh, Whenever you integrate IP into something, you need to be able to use some level of discretion. Otherwise, it's going to turn into the Moana Resort. Yeah, I mean, this stuff could become garish so quickly. It's like it's like when people who you know where you see this is sort of a stretched analogy, I'll admit, but uh, people who really love Disney but 
like there's guys like Lantessa who have or Lantesta, sorry. Um, that that's good marketing on Tesla's part. They programmed that into my brain. Just to uh, you, I think you watch Tesla porn. A few. I think Len has actually moved from the house that he did this in, but he did sort of a Tomorrowland theme thing, and he posted yeah, yeah. all these pictures online, and it was incredibly tastefully done, and it was awesome. I mean, it, it was placemaking. It was you know Imagineering light, but it was really really good. And as someone who loves Disney, like I think that's what you want is you want a you know the creation of an environment. Um, but then you see other people who love Disney, and the way they do it is by you know jamming 4,000 pieces of plush randomly you know in their house and it just looks like a disaster and you know that's kind of what I worry about when I when I see a budget type of IP injection is you know just getting some framed art and throwing it on the wall haphazardly not only fails to create a sense of being in a special Disney environment but it you know runs the risk of undercutting the quality of the theming that's already there so I guess that's my concern. Well, luckily for us, the guy in charge, Bob Chapek, is known for his light and tasteful touch. So uh, (laughs) it should be be very classy the way they uh, integrate it in. And his willingness to not be driven solely by the budget. Yeah, yeah. One of the things we've discussed on here is the the difference between decorating and theming. Uh, And I think that touches on what Josh was just speaking to. That's, That's something where we've complained about the way Disney has done things in the past. And this all goes back to our storytelling uh, idea. Like, why is this set up this way? You're not going to just arbitrarily load a room with Moana plush and call that a Moana themed room. If you're going to do it, you're going to say, all right, uh, maybe we make it look like, you know, the environment that uh, uh, part of the story took place in. That Those are the types of things that I think are more relevant. And you're not necessarily inundating it with characters, but you're inundating it with that vibe. So we'll uh, withhold full judgment until complete, I guess. But I think that just from a need for an update standpoint, the concept of taking some rooms out of uh, out of rotation right now is a good move. And anything that's uh, that's past due for an update should probably be uh, looked at because di- they don't need the ro- they don't need the rooms right now. I disagree. We are not going to hold judgment until this complete. This is going to suck. <laughs> okay, fair enough. Well, no, I'm kidding. I'm, I'm kidding. We'll wait. We'll wait. There's an episode of Kingdom Cast coming in the near future, which has not been recorded yet, but I'm pretty sure that, <laughs> that uh, Ron is going to echo that sentiment pretty strongly. <laughs> well, I think this you is his favorite first. resort, right? It is. And he has a lot of childhood memories there. So he's got a, you know, that's the place <laughs> that he always went with his family. So. I mean, that's so much of what we do about here, though. We're reminiscing about childhood memories, and we're likely romanticizing some things as well. Uh, we do that with Epcot, certainly. So I get it. I, I, I get it. And the, the fact that things evolve and we don't get the full sign-off on each of those evolutions, uh, <laughs> right. we, we don't own the company. It's But it's, it's why we're doing these podcasts. We do have passion about it, and we can have our opinions and put it out there, and Disney can choose to listen or not. So. I mean, the true test of whether or not we were just sort of flapping our gums for no reason or whether or not we had really latched onto something important will be in 30 years. Yeah. If if the if the kids now who are, uh, you know, the age that we were when we found our love for these parks uh, aren't interested in it anymore, then we'll know we're right, you know. But I suppose if there's an equal, you know, 10 times as many podcasts then talking about how great the, th- the changes are that we're objecting to when the companies talk about re- talking about reverting it back, you know, to the sort of things we liked. I guess we'll know that uh, you know some of this stuff is just because of when it was impressed into us and not because of the actual empirical quality of it. 
I think had the internet been around, or at least in greater volume or force, uh, in, er- in the early 2000s, you would have seen the current outrage of Epcot purists being voiced a little bit louder then. And the end result of 20 years of Band-Aid solutions is investing a significant amount of money into that park because they just did those Band-Aid solutions and didn't really uh, properly evolve it. But uh, that's neither here nor there. We talk about Epcot enough on this show. Well, I also, I'm going to actually say one more thing about Epcot that ties into what you said. <laughs> um, I think that Epcot is a park that largely, because it presents information and technology in a way that most people can get online now, mm-hmm. um, there's sort of a timing, an unfortunate bit of timing there with Epcot that because they didn't really have the internet to prepare guests necessarily for what the experience was, that there was that sort of disappointment in their expectation. I think that was a big part of why. Because you didn't hear people going in Epcot saying, uh, you know, why aren't there uh, characters in the park? They were saying, where are they? It's like they didn't know. You know what I mean? Right, it's like right. their expectation was they were going to go into this park and there was going to be characters there, and then they weren't, and that was the source of disappointment. So I think in a world with the internet where people kind of know, you know everything's spoiled, they have a, that's a, basically what I'm saying is that's a tool I think they need to do, do a better job of using. Yeah. Uh, instead of going to, in, the way they use it now is they go to D23 and they create expectations that no one can ever live up to, you know, instead of actually controlling expectations so that people have an experience that's in line with what they thought they were going to have. It is rare, and you, you've talked about this in the context of Universal, where they kind of downplay the expectations on things, and as such, don't get that negative uh, negative press. Yep. So when they, when they don't actually advertise that they have a new Fast and Furious ride, nobody's pissed when it sucks. It works exactly. <laughs> Another thing is, and I think this is subliminal, but the longer that it, the more time that goes by between when you announce something and when you open it, I think the, the there's just sort of a natural expectation that if you took that long to do something, it's going to be better. And yeah. Disney does things at a pace that's so much slower than what Universal does for a lot of reasons, some of which are probably, you know, intractable and there's nothing at all that could be done to, to change it. But the fact of the matter is, when you, you know, if you look at Mind Train, for example, that is a, in my opinion, a perfectly good attraction. I think it's a mm-hmm. very good attraction. Um, and I think it was somewhat pioneering in terms of its attempt to blend traditional dark ride elements with a real, you know, with a more high thrill ride. Uh, it, but the expectations that people had of it, because it took so long to build, you know, so it, no matter how sort of disconnected from the Disney community you are, if you ever went to the park, you know, even if you went every four years, you probably walked around that thing on multiple trips before you could ride it, you know, so everyone thought it was going to be, you know, this, this groundbreaking attraction. And it was a multifunction printer, right? It was a, it was a mediocre dark ride. And it's a mediocre roller coaster. I think that together they deserve respect of saying it's a very impressive accomplishment. But, you know, your first attempt at trying to blend those two things is probably not going to be awesome at both. And, and I think that's the only thing that thing really suffers from. Ben, what is my role on this show? Is it primarily <laughs> to just shit on people's points? Is that what it is? Uh, yeah. Okay. Uh, and you the also reason- hold me gently. <laughs> that too. Uh, the reason why I asked that, I, I think that uh, to your point on Mind Train, that was a unique enough situation in that they had announced the Fantasyland edition and then midway through they changed course. So the, the lead time on Mind Train from announcement to opening wasn't as bad as some of the other things that they've done in my mind. I think Pandora was a much better example of that. Mainly because they announced that like six years before it opened. To, to great confusion, too. <laughs> yeah. Yes, uh, yes. Y- you know, I mean, uh, most of that time, as I recall, was spent 
analyzing what the hell they were thinking and how it made any sense. I think the execution of it there, it's a perfect example of the devil being in the details. It was pretty damn good. Um, you know, they, the tie-in was better than what I think most of us anticipated it was going to be. I'm looking, and what I see was January of 2011 was when Disney officially stated that Seven Dwarves Mine Train is going to be part of New Fantasyland and opened. That seems like a long time ago. It does, and uh, it actually officially opened in May of 2014. So, uh, three and a half years. I would have told you it was longer. I thought it was over four, so that's not as bad as I thought. The uh, the thing with it though was that they announced New Fantasyland back in 2009, but it yeah. wasn't part of it then. So that's probably where the uh, maybe that's where I'm anchoring that data. Yeah. But I mean, they, they don't get me wrong; they do that. Like Star Wars Land was a five year lead time, I think, which is fine. But see, like if you look at a company that does the opposite, like Apple, yeah, there. I mean, things leak out of the supply chain, so rarely is anything a total surprise anymore. <laughs> but they they create the appearance of being magicians because they spend four years working on things internally. You know, they announce them and then the product ship three weeks later. It's like, well, how did you do that? It's like, well, because they have enough confidence in the success of what they're. It's like I've used this analogy before, and it's kind of gross, but like you know, I used to know guys in high school that they'd ask a girl out and she'd say yes, and they'd go around telling all their friends that you know he, he banged her. You know, and it's like, it's like have enough confidence in how things are going to work out that you don't brag about the accomplishment before you have it. And it's like Disney doesn't have that. They're just so excited. In fact, they have an idea that instead of being patient and waiting to be praised on the execution of it, you know, whether it's them trying to see a positive response in the stock market or whether they're trying to get some bonus, I don't know. But it seems like they're, they're looking for the praise on the announcement instead of on delivering, which I think is the wrong place to focus your, uh, you know, attention. I think it's the creatives that want to get the story out there. Honestly, yeah. I think that's part of it. I think that uh, if you get, <laughs> if you make the announcement, in theory, it's harder to cancel. Not that that stopped Disney at any point in the last no. 10 years. Hyperion Wharf, the uh, Main Street USA Theater, <laughs> all of the changes to Epcot, any of those. Um, I mean, there was a uh, there was a joke that I made, uh, gosh, probably 10 years ago when uh, Jim Hill was being questioned and we had him on the old fanboy show. I asked who has a better reputation with these things, you or Jay Rizzullo, who at the time was heading to Parks and Resorts. Didn't because work he was, then, doesn't work now. <laughs> consistent, at least. Because Disney was would there. consistently be inconsistent with their announcements, and that they would put stuff out there. <laughs> that works too. <laughs> uh, but I get wanting to get some hype for it, and the fact that they have something like the D twenty three Expo to uh, to drive that hype train helps. I think the the goal with those parks and resorts presentations was to get the same buzz going that they get in like the movies presentations yeah. and trying to trying to get the parks and resorts to have that type of rabid fan base that goes out and you know spends 200 million dollars on an opening weekend for a Marvel movie so that what they want is that similar type of rabid fan base to flood Star Wars Galaxy's Edge when it opens in Disneyland as opposed to steering clear and them having a flat attendance for the uh, first year that it opened. So, I mean, so much of the IP integration we've said has been a year one marketing push and that's it. So it really is. Do you, do you really get that if you announce something five years ahead of time? It's uh, it's, I don't know what the answer is, but I don't know what they're doing. If what they're doing is the right answer. You mentioned universal earlier, uh, Josh, and it's just so interesting that how, these two companies are so vastly different in how they go about these projects and putting them out there. And again, like you said, how the lead time that Disney does, whereas, uh, you know, case in point, the, the 
Velociraptor roller coaster right now that still has never been said anything officially by Universal. And the thing is, you know, the track itself is done. Yeah. Uh, the, the, the ride is built. They're just, you know, adding the, the scenery and stuff around it now. Uh, they're, they're so notorious for, you know, weeks and months before it actually opens is when they officially come out and, and discuss it and start putting out their marketing materials and letting people know about it. Uh, it's just, it's so interesting that they're right down the road from each other yet. They, the philosophies on how they announce, uh, what they're building and what they're, what they're pushing along and the timing of when they go about that information is so vastly different. Yeah. So about 15 years ago, Honda, you know, the, the Japanese multi, they, they do a lot that most people know it was a car maker, but they do a lot of stuff, including making jet engines. And about uh, 10, 15 years ago, they actually made a jet, the Honda jet and the engines. If you think about have a, you know, most airliners have the engine suspended under the wings. This airplane had its engines above the wings on those pylons. So it was incredibly distinctive looking and they never announced this thing at all, but it was flying all over the world. And there was a sort of famous incident where, uh, as I recall it, this, this airplane, this very didn't look like anything else in the sky, landed at an airport. The CEO gets out, you know, uh, an aviation pundit walks up to it, says, "Hey, can you tell me about the Honda Jet?" And the guy goes, "There is no Honda Jet." Like it's <laughs> like it's in the background of the photo. So it's that I kind of feel that Velociraptor coaster is kind of the same way. You just you build mystique about this thing. And you get more word of mouth by being quiet than you could ever get by trying to pump up interest. Uh, it seems like Universal has definitely mastered that skill. And, uh, you know, Disney is definitely sort of relying on the way they've always done things. I'd love to see a perspective from, you know, a marketing professor and a marketing professional uh, that really does a deep dive on the effects of both and, and what, what, what approach works better. And for those wondering, uh, in addition to, uh, to Tesla porn, Josh watches a lot of just aviation porn in general. I think that's, uh, that's, that's what your go-to is on YouTube. It's why you've never seen a movie. It's just documentaries and stuff on YouTube clips. I do like good space documentaries. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> Uh, why don't we move on to some uh, some listener questions? This first one comes to us from uh, from longtime listener, uh, uh, unfortunately related to me, Keegan McCann. Uh, hello, I've been a longtime listener. Hey, I just said that, and I have some questions for you. What is the best lawn seed to use for an arid Southern California climate? That's a good question, uh, ben, ben. That's probably best suited for you, actually, because you know, uh, crabgrass. Crabgrass, okay. Yeah. So that's not going to look oh. great, though. <laughs> Uh, I'm thinking Bermuda. like Bermuda. With, Bermuda. Uh, well, I'm, I mean, does it have to be grass? Like, can yes, we? That's where I was going to go. Can we go with like another landscaping component where you, oh, no, you no, get no, some no, rocks and, and cacti and other plants that thrive I, with minimal water? I was, was going to say what we do here in Texas when it's 110 degrees out in the summer is we mow our grass so short that it just dies, and then we don't address it again until the spring. So, <laughs> so I, I'm the I'm the worst person to ask this question. The worst person to ask is me, because I grew up in South Florida, and we had a town near where I lived called Leisureville, and it was just old people. And when I say old people, I don't know where you're from. I don't mean like, oh, they're in their 60s. I mean, these people were like old. And every, it was, you know, like a planned community, like mm -hmm. imagine celebration, but for, you know, geriatrics. Were there a lot and of people with purple doors and yellow flowers on the doors? I don't remember that, but okay. what I do remember is what I'm about to tell you is what they had for lawns, which is they just paved where the lawn would be and they painted it green. Okay, that works. <laughs> Very Keeping low maintenance. Keeping yeah. it classy. 
I'm currently in a water ban uh, in my town. And what it is, I think you can, uh, we're in like stage four or something like that, which means you can bring a watering can out. Stage five, you can use the thimble from Monopoly, fill that up with water and water your lawn. <laughs> uh, stage six, I think you can spit it out. Stage seven, uh, you can like put your finger over a straw and bring that out. So um, whatever I'm using is not working. So I'm saying uh, plant some, some lands, do some landscaping as opposed to uh, uh, planting <laughs> grass. Uh, next question from, uh, from Keegan. Apparently not understanding the uh, the point of the show as a Disney podcast. Uh, how many wins did the Moneyball A's of 2002 accumulate? Uh, I did look this up. They went 103 and 59. Um, Josh, I, I'm sure you're a big fan of the movie Moneyball. The what? <laughs> <laughs> ben, I'm guessing you are, actually. I actually am an absolutely massive fan of that movie. Uh, actually, more of a fan of Aaron Sorkin and his... Yeah writing uh but that movie how many times did they say uh tim hudson barry zito and mark Mulder in it one Uh, time you saw zito's name i think once yeah so so that movie's a fraud let's talk about uh, the pitching staff the 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 book was uh was very good as well uh and speaking of chadwick boseman as we were earlier about two weeks ago for the first time i saw draft day and if you're a sports fan and you like moneyball and you haven't given draft day a chance uh not as good but i still think if you're into the intricacies of a front office um i I would watch draft day as well well not to bust keegan's uh, balls here but maybe if he'd have capitalized money and ball it and known that it was a proper noun Spelling uh, matters, and, 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 and you get to see the uh, a great young Star Lord in uh, in Moneyball, you know. Yes, little, yes. Little Chris Pratt is Scott Somewhat Hatterberg. It's chubby Chris Pratt. Yep. <laughs> kind of like mid um, Parks and Rec versus uh, Star Lord. So anyway, um, I got a black guy at baseball practice a few days ago. Uh, what did the other guy look like? Uh, next question: Wendy's or McDonald's? Uh, correct answer there is Taco Bell. Oh, the correct answer is McD- objection, unresponsive. McDonald's is the correct answer. Uh, it's, it's a uh, inside family joke there that uh, we got into. My my sister and I mainly got into an all out uh, uh, fight over where we were going to go after leaving the parks early one day, and it was between Wendy's, Chick Fil A, and Taco Bell. And the Wendy's was right across from where we were staying. And the uh, Taco Bell and Chick-fil-A were nowhere near where we were staying. And the task was I was going to go to Taco Bell and Chick-fil-A and she was going to go to Wendy's. And I thought that, that was bullshit. So uh, anyway, the answer wait, is Taco wait, Bell. Nothing wait makes a, a great podcast more than telling your nephew about an inside family joke that no one else <laughs> yep, in the world exactly. knows. <laughs> <laughs> we just talked about grass seed for an hour. You guys want to talk about who's bringing the uh, macaroni and cheese to Thanksgiving next? Or what, what, what are we going to do here? Did you just say you guys left the parks early one day to get some food? Yes. How the hell do you have a podcast? You you uh, are not a real Disney fan. No, I disagree. Stay, the promo you, you should always close. leave property to eat. <laughs> <laughs> One of the uh, factors was uh, the aforementioned younger nephews. Anyway, I, I get I give my wife crap all the time because uh, when she grew up, her dad's go to was uh, fill a cooler with sandwiches and they'd go to the parking lot of the Magic Kingdom to have lunch every day. So just don't uh, do burritos because those are deadly. Yep. So when, whenever <laughs> we're looking for lunch uh, in the parks, I'm always like, we want to go to pay. Goes bills, cosmic rays, or sandwiches in the parking lot, girls, and, and uh, they never want sandwiches in the parking lot. No, I'm with you. I, I like to stay at the park till close, but when it's a family vacation, I don't always get the uh, deciding vote. So, um, uh, last question: When is my guest appearance on the hit podcast Marty called? When you're old enough to drink, Keegan. And yeah. let's see. I think that was it. Uh, thank you for appreciating my concerns. Keegan. Thank you, I do Keegan. appreciate you, Keegan, and your concerns. <laughs> Uh, our next one comes from uh, Bruce McClintock. Subject: Staying alive. I think. Whoa, whoa, whoa! I think at this like, point, it's friend of the show, Bruce McClintock. That, that, I mean, this guy, fair. this yeah. guy brings the goods constantly. 
McClintock. Make lots of good choices at it. I'm glad I'm not the only one that hears that, my brain. Uh, Hey, guys, thanks for the uploads. You are the best armchair Imagineering podcast I've ever heard. Probably the only one he's listened to. Uh, Disney just announced the permanent closing of Stitch, Rivers of Light, and Primeval World. Kind of dating this email, but that's on us. Uh, Hard to argue that either park is worse off without these attractions or whatever replaces them. You son of a bitch, McClintock. (laughs) Uh, Spoiler alert, the uh, gist of the show is going to be us um, uh, armchair Imagineering replacement for Rivers of Light. Uh, excluding Epcot. You're welcome, Ben. I see Everest and the Disco Yeti near the top of the broken attractions list at Disney World. Joe Rohde recently said two weeks is not enough time to fix the Yeti, but apparently four months isn't either. Did they miss a unique opportunity to fix the Yeti? What are the scenarios where they close and fix an attraction that is still popular in B-Mode? Otherwise, they should just lean in with a disco ball and a 70s soundtrack already. Bruce. So, unfortunately, I think that Bruce may have made a conclusion here, which is really the res- the way that you answer his question is by realizing that I don't think Disney's looking for an opportunity to fix the Yeti. So I don't think yeah. it's like, you know, couching this in terms of being a missed opportunity suggests that this is something that's important to them. Well, I think it's something that's important to us, but Disney yeah. has shown this thing has not been broken for six months. It's been broken almost since it opened. It hasn't, it didn't work for six months. It worked for like four months and then it yeah. has been broken since. I think so. this is the this is the status quo that is probably going to remain that way um, until some sort of major overhaul, retrack, or massive structural repair yeah, of exactly. that thing is required. I, that would well, be to, my prediction. Not to make an excuse for Disney on this end, but uh, you know, wasn't there especially in the early days of the shutdown and the the pandemic, like restrictions on what people could be in the parks to you even do maintenance to do any kind of work. It's why all the construction shut down on Tron and other attractions. Uh, it wasn't like they had a full four months to, you know, at their disposal where they could freely go in and out to work on anything. Uh, granted, I don't think they would have had they had the opportunity to, but I just think maybe to be fair a little bit, they, they might not have been allowed to legally put people in those parks to, to work on this stuff uh, during this time. Yeah, there wasn't really any construction going on until July, for the yep. most part. So um, I'm not going to begrudge them for missing an opportunity in the four-month closure. Uh, I understand the the logic, though, saying that you just don't want to take a major attraction offline for as long as it would take. And let's say uh, Joe Rody put the term that it would take longer than two weeks. Let's say it would take three months. And it's picking that out of a hat. I have no basis in uh, w- whether or not that's true. But let's say three months. If they don't want to take it offline for three months – that's the argument. The other argument uh, that I've heard is that they don't know who or which part of the company should pay for it. And that itself seems more petty to me. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you could, Bob Gurr did an interview where he basically flat out said that the people who designed this thing did it wrong. And mm-hmm. that they went for, a, we're going to make it huge and use these tremendously powerful actuators that have the power of a 737 or whatever they compared it to. And he said that's the absolute wrong way to do it. So, so they could market it. That's what they wanted to do. Right. But if we assume that Bob's right, then the then again, what we have is basically a mischaracterization of what needs to happen. It's not that they need to fix the Yeti. It's that they need to replace the Yeti with one that is designed in a way that will allow it to continue to work. Right. So that when you, when you look at it in those terms, it's just a massively different issue, right? Uh, it's not that it's broken because it's defective in its design. So if they fix mm-hmm. it, 
the expectation would be it's going to fail again. Yeah. Uh, and I know fr- uh, I have friends who are cast members who have been in that building and said that there's, you know, the little, uh, you know, shop towels that I forget what they call the absorbent mats that you put down that mm-hmm. are to this day still just like filled with hydraulic fluid. So the, the thing is more than broken. It's just I think it's it's engineered wrong from the beginning. You got to get Patrick Spikes to get in there and take it out with uh, <laughs> whatever you need to cut it. Robin um, Lopez would buy it. So I think the idea of incorporating it with a larger refurbishment is absolutely the way to go because to sell to sell it as something is fixed is working as originally intended. That's that's bad PR. Uh, so the the move would be to otherwise enhance the attraction in some other way, or as Josh uh, Josh suggested, do it during like a, a need for a retracking or something like that. So the ride is 14 years old right now. Most roller coasters, what's the uh, the lifespan of the track, Josh? Probably 20, 25 years? I don't know, but I, I, th- I don't think it's the way people – I hear people sometimes online that don't seem to have any actual background in it discussing it. I don't either, so I'm not qualified yeah. to answer the question. Okay. But my, my suspicion is that they're talking about it like it's a dairy product. Like after X number of years, this thing is you know expired. And I don't think that's how it works. So the way that I believe it works, and I could be wrong, is that these things are subject to continual inspection procedures – and, you know, when cracks are found, there's probably a certain size that they can mitigate. You can drill holes at the end of a crack so they don't continue to propagate. I don't mm-hmm. know, you know, and engineers are going to dictate, you know, what, if any sort of crack mitigation you can do. There, there could be zero tolerance, right? It could be that if, it, if there's any crack at all, that, you know, the thing has to be, you know, repaired. Um, so I, the way that I believe that from study of history of these things and just sort of my sense in mechanical background is that what probably ends the, it, what happens is these things get to a point where the operators of them believe that it would now be cheaper to replace either some portion of the track or maybe even all of the track than it would to keep fixing it piecemeal. Um, and it's not because it's not a showpiece item, you know, track is, you know, materially different from something like a Yeti because it's a safety sensitive component. So there's going to be, you know, standards in place that say that you can't just run the thing in a defective condition, unlike you can with a broken Yeti. So um, that's how I think it works. And I believe like, if you look at some of the old Schwarzkopf coasters, um, some of, they were really, really loved by fans. Like when they first came out in the mid eighties, they were some of the most like the fan favorites. But they were notoriously expensive to operate because the like the turns weren't banked enough, and they used small, too small a gauge steel. So a huge number of those don't exist anymore. Just and it's not because they reached some you know fatigue life where they had to be retired. It was just the people who operate them said enough's enough. We can't afford to keep running this thing. So you know whether how long is a track on a ride like Expedition Everest going to last? I think it depends. You know almost entirely on the quality of its design. One of the things that was emphasized during construction of it and in the, uh, I guess, one-hour special slash documentary, whatever you want to call it, when they were selling it, um, was that the three different structures that composed the mountain, the uh, the Yeti, and the, the track couldn't touch each other. Right. And that in itself may – I don't know how necessary or unnecessary it was. Uh, the computer-aided design aspect of it – my my recollection was that it was one of, if not the first, coasters Disney had done that had a significant computer-aided design component to it as well to allow them to do that. 
But sometimes when you're doing something for the first time, just because you can do it and make it unnecessarily complicated, doesn't always work out. And that seems to be the case here. Stateside, I'm almost sure that's true. I'm trying to timeline in my head going backwards what the most recent coaster prior to that they had built, you know, worldwide, I don't know. And I also don't know when they say Disney designs a coaster, you know, because all these coasters have, you know, third parties that are designing the track, you know, with Space Mountain, it's Arrow. I think Intamin did uh, uh, Expedition Everest, right? I uh, don't know offhand, but I'll know, uh, provided that my computer will allow me to look it up. Okay. Uh, <laughs> well, they, they did the same thing when they designed the Barnstormer, too. That's two separate structures between the track and the billboard that you fly between. <laughs> uh, they couldn't touch, and so uh, that's why that it, it, it worked perfect over the Barnstormer. That billboard was repurposed when they renamed it the Great Goofini. That's <laughs> uh, uh, a Vecuma. My bad. <laughs> yes, it is. Anyway, moving away from uh, from Everest, we have a question that isn't really a question, but we'll read it to uh, uh, give a shout out to our listener, Mike Paremsky. Uh, uh, I think I was right the first time. We're going to go Paremsky, and the B is silent. Uh, Tim, Josh, Ben, uh, in order of sexiness, I'll go with that. Uh, we had a use it or lose it proposition oh. with a trip my, my wife received for her efforts as a uh, Disney travel agent. She won a sales contest. We should have taken it before June 2019 and June 2020. We scheduled it a year ago for May 2020, but it got rescheduled shortly after the parks reopened. It was me, my wife, and our two kids, ages 19 and 17. Let me know if you'd like to talk about what it was like in the parks, what Disney did well, what we thought could be improved, attached was our itinerary. We've been back for 11 days now, and so far, all are feeling fine. Uh, maybe we got lucky, or maybe the precautions we and Disney took paid off or a little bit of both. The reason why I'm suggesting this, and I don't know if we've discussed it on the show, but I've said it uh, to people within the last month or so uh, that have asked when I'm going to go on a Disney trip. I think it is safe to say that for a public place, Walt Disney World is the safest place in the country right now. Do you guys disagree with that? I mean, I think there's speculation involved in saying that. I will say that just in terms of density of people in a given area, it's pretty low. So if if we're going to – if the assumption we're going to make here is that, uh, you know, your, your proximity to other people is directly correlative with your de- likelihood of catching this thing, then yeah, because it's – the places have just been empty. I'm going to well, say combine that with the precautions too. I was going to say that the they, they at least have an effort to tell you where to stand and where to go and where to be. And my Walmart at the end of the street that I have to get groceries at, you know – every week doesn't. Uh, yeah, yeah. So, you know, I think a lot of us are probably doing things that are, you know, near our homes and are, you know, around where we are just on a day-to-day basis that are much more dangerous mm-hmm. uh, than being in a Disney park. Uh, it's just the, you know, then, then you're met with the, uh, you, you know, the people who will tell you you're in a pandemic, you shouldn't go to a theme park right now, which, uh, you know, to those people do, do, do what, makes you happy just be cautious and you know be aware of the others around you uh is, is what i would say uh I, i'm i do have a trip booked uh the week before nova uh thanksgiving we have a uh, a seven day trip on the books uh between universal and uh disney that we intend to go on i'll tell you the thing that maybe i was uh more uh, hesitant about than anything was just flying to get there and yep. what it was like to be on a plane. And I can tell you, I've flown to Massachusetts and, and back within the last two months. And uh, the way at least we flew Southwest and everything Southwest did was incredibly professional with uh, keeping people distance out, 
the cleaning, everything was fantastic uh, on my flights. Uh, my wife and kids have done multiple flights to uh, Massachusetts and back, and all of us uh, wore our, you know, we wore our masks, we followed the rules, we did what was asked of us, and we all uh, were fine uh, coming out of that. Not, you know, knock on wood that w- when we do it again, we'll, we'll, the same thing will happen, but uh, the the experience that I had flying out there has made me much more confident in this November trip of feeling safe and being okay with us going out there and doing this. So uh, unless, you know, there's another major shutdown, which my trips have prone to shut the economy and the world <laughs> down over the last uh, six months. So who knows? That might be when the next uh, wave of the pandemic hits. But if that's not the case... Uh, I might short I'm, some stocks once you actually pack. <laughs> <laughs> uh, with, with, with my recent travels and then knowing what Disney's been doing and you know just being aware of the the things that they're asking people to do when there are parks in the parks. And by all intents and purposes, seeing that a lot of people are following these rules and respecting these rules uh, for the most part, I feel safe. I feel safe at this point going out and, and having a trip and getting away for a little bit, which we plan on doing in a couple months. I have not heard any of the stories that seem to permeate the local and national news of somebody being told at Walmart to uh, put on a mask and them assaulting an 80-year-old Walmart greeter. Uh, I have not heard any of those stories out of Disney. Uh, somebody can correct me if I'm wrong if they've occurred. But it does seem like people are respecting the rules that they have there. Uh, and I haven't heard tales out of Disney or Universal of significant uh, spikes in cases that yep. are resulting from from the theme parks. And for me, that was something that I wanted to wait on. I wasn't ready to go back on day one uh, right. for a multitude of reasons. One, it's July in Florida. Um, <laughs> but also just from a, from a safety standpoint, I've got parents that are in their 70s as well. And I didn't want to expose yep. uh, the more at-risk people to, to something like this. So um, – by all means, use your own judgment, but I I don't think I am so far out there with the statement that Disney World is, if it's not the safest public place in the country, it is among those. So use your own discretion, but uh, that's that's one man's opinion. The one thing that hit us the other day as we were planning this trip is, you know, we have the we have the resort booked, Saratoga Springs. Uh, we are on the wait list for uh, the beach club, so hopefully that happens. Um, and this is actually kind of going back to this. We have a we have use it or lose it points that are yeah. uh, that go away for the DVC at the end of November. So uh, we're we're gonna. That's why we're going. We don't want to. We banked several points for a big trip this summer and they wouldn't let these points carry over. So we're going to try to use them. But uh, we're at the point now that the resort is booked and everything and the flights that we're like, Oh, we need to start booking our dining. And then it hit us that, you know, it's just a choice that we've made here. We're, we're not eating in restaurants right now. We're doing a lot of takeout. We've had no problem with picking stuff up and bringing it home and just, just kind of making that our routine. So it hit us that we're like, wait a second, we're, we're not eating out at restaurants here. Are we going to eat at restaurants at Disney and if we don't, what are we going to do? Which I guess means I might Sandwich be eating course. sandwiches in the parking lot. <laughs> and that, my friend, is what we call a callback. There we go. Good job. We are professional radio people. <laughs> no. And I think on that uh, button that Ben just put on this, we can, we can move on. So moving away from the listener questions, the idea for this show, uh, we wanted to do something that wasn't Epcot. We wanted to do something that... Uh, 
we haven't discussed before and is kind of fueled by some recent discussions on uh, Jim and Len's show about the Rivers of Light and the failures that went with that show. And uh, I know I saw it a couple of times. Josh, I don't know that you ever saw it. Uh, did you? I have not seen it in person. Okay. And Ben, did you see it in person? Uh, I saw the last iteration of it. What are, I okay. don't know what the hell they were calling it by the, that uh, point. Like the one with the like Lion King uh, tie Yeah. Yeah, okay. it it was kind of IP based, and uh, I kind of enjoyed it. I remember you guys busting my balls saying that I liked it, but that sounds uh, like us. That's the, that's the only version I saw. Okay, so regardless, the show didn't test well. Uh, you're allowed to like it. Um, the music I thought was great for it, but they uh, even that they kind of hatcheted it up with the version that Ben saw. But the the gist of it is they wouldn't have closed it if it was doing well. And I recognize that they're not running nighttime shows anyway right now. But um, a theater that actually has a seating configuration where you could uh, justifiably social distance, if there was enough demand for it, they would find a way to do it. And the demand just isn't there. So they uh, they announced the closure of it. And we all recognize that there are problems with doing a nighttime show in the animal kingdom. They can't really use significant pyro. Uh, you can use fire effects as because they did. Um, but we wanted to, we wanted to each come up with our own idea of a way to replace rivers of light, an idea that would replace it. And our restrictions were those restrictions that were found in the animal kingdom. We again, couldn't have high level fireworks. We could use fire. We could use fountains. Um, and ideally we would use the same seating configuration that they have for the lagoon, uh, between Expedition Everest and the Tree of Life. So we each came up with our own ideas. I think Josh is going to kick us off with his. Uh, yeah. I imagine we will probably build off of each other's and perhaps combine some ideas into a, a single perfect show and Disney will hire all three of us. I think that's how it's going to work. <laughs> well, especially after they hear my first idea. I think my, my job there is a shoe-in, clearly. Go for it. I'm going to cut straight to the core of, app, of the apple, replace all of the live animals ro- with robots that shoot fireworks out their buttholes. There you go. So, <laughs> No, obviously that's a joke, uh, but no, I, like I just that you had to clarify that. <laughs> just, just to be clear, this is not an actual suggestion. Austin Powers attraction: sharks that shoot freaking lasers. Exactly. So it's we know, an and it's funny you mentioned lasers because that actually is going to be a part of the discussion. Um, so my mistake. I, I, we call them pew pews on the show. I, I never will, and it hurts my heart every time I hear you say that. <laughs> uh, but in any event, I, I put that joke in there mainly just to point out uh, a fact that none of us, as far as I know, are veterinarians. Um, Tim, you never served in the military, did you? No, anyway. Tim, Tim, Tim eats meat. <laughs> um, you know, so I don't actually know, honestly, what the boundaries are for what is acceptable uh, in these habitats. So there's a lot of speculation on my part here as to what's doable and what's not. Probably can't throw M80s into their cages. Probably not. That I'm comfortable going down on. Uh, well, that came out wrong. Um, in any event. Um, so not the veterinary services I offer, I asked for. <laughs> If anyone hasn't listened to episode 284 of The Disney Dish, you should, because uh, Jim did a very good job of explaining not only what that show is and what it or was uh, and what its deficiencies really are, but also one of the things that I thought was really important is that Jim talked about the motivation that the company had for putting that show in in the first place. Yeah. And it's not surprising, and it was sort of a throwaway line that he made, but I think it's worth starting our premise with, which is that um, they wanted to provide a reason for people to stay in the parks after dark so that they would uh, patronize the stores and restaurants that are that are in that park. 
Um, and I don't think that would come as a surprise to anyone. But as we talk about what we need to do in order to uh, improve upon the nighttime situation that's there, I think it's really important to keep that in mind. Because certainly if we were at an imaginary meeting, um, you know, to get a project greenlit, it has to at least have some reasonable likelihood of helping the company achieve its goals in addition to just being a cool experience for guests. Um, yeah, yeah. And what I think ultimately is that any quote unquote nighttime show offering is always going to fail at animal kingdom. And the reason is something I alluded to earlier in this show, which is just talking about what guest expectations are. Disney has created a definition for what a Disney nighttime show is in every single park that they've ever built anywhere in the world. As far as I know, except for animal kingdom, it is a loud, epic explosion filled, you know, pyro fest that probably has a bunch of lasers thrown in for good measure. And that just can't be done at Animal Kingdom. So it's it's really worth considering the fact that maybe that's not the direction they should go at all, because this is just not going to be that. And I don't know how you're actually going to be able to message well enough to, you know, the entire world to set guest, guest expectations so that they're not going to be disappointed by whatever it is that you offer. So my ultimate idea here, which I'm going to spend the majority of my time talking about, is really a, a nighttime experience that is something different than a nighttime show. Okay. Um, but before I do that, just to the ex- just because it was an idea that popped into my head, uh, I'll talk about something I think that maybe they could explore. And that is that one of Disney's greatest skills, despite the fact that lately they've demonstrated a interest in not using it as much, is controlling sight lines. Mm-hmm. Um, they're masters at this. And it's always been used, or at least the majority of time it's been used, it's to keep guests from seeing backstage areas or things that are on stage that the company doesn't want you to look at. So what I started to wonder is, if you were to take a, you know, a lighting effect like a laser, for example, can Disney sort of modify its sight line way of thinking to beam those you know lasers out during some kind of show in a way where their a view of them would be obscured from any animals that would be bothered by them so i don't know just a thought i don't know if that's practical i I pulled up a map of the park as i was thinking about it and it's it seems kind of tricky because of the layout of that park but it's just a thought that maybe they can add something uh, more exciting and intense if that's the direction they choose to go personally i don't think that's the direction they should go so here's my main idea i think if you can the idea of a nighttime show and you ex- you instead lean into what makes Animal Kingdom unique, um, Disney has shown consistently that Imagineers love building revolutionary and unique offerings and operations loves to then turn them into a commoditized <laughs> clone of every other park that exists. Yeah, um, pretty much. You know, I mean, Epcot was one of a kind which was part of what we loved about it. It was also part of the problem because when guests went there, it wasn't the Disney park experience that they thought they were going to get. And that's a problem. So ops does what ops does. They basically, you know, clone the elements that guests perceive as being missing. And And it dilutes the original intent. Exactly. Um, And animal kingdom is, you know, probably right up there with Epcot in terms of being, distinct from every other Disney park. Having a cohesive theme where things definitively fit into it. Right. And I think we all were afraid that was going to get destroyed when Avatar was announced, and they didn't, right? They they managed to pull that off. But I I think, you know, there's a lot in the name. Yes, the, the, the star of Animal Kingdom are animals, right? But those animals 
but the, the, the scene that those, the stage that that is being played out on is the environment of animal kingdom itself. That is truly the remarkable thing that they built there because there are zoos all over the country. There are zoos all over the world. And if you want it, and I don't believe there's any animal in animal kingdom that can't be seen elsewhere, but, but the setting of it is something that is really very special. The frozen Yeti actually cannot be seen elsewhere. <laughs> That's a good point. Um, but in any event, you know, Disney has this great environment and it, they are placemaking, you know, Africa to great extent, which is a place that has, you know, a tremendous number of cultures that are very different from anything in the Western world. You know, there, there's a there's a human component to Animal Kingdom, too. Um, you know, the people that live on this land and interact with these animals. And, and what I and the, the whole problem with a alter with the conventional alternative to a nighttime show, which would be a parade, is that the pathways in the park are not wide enough to accommodate that sort of thing. And that's something that Jim talked about. But if you think about how, how a normal parade is, you would take people and have them be stationary along the parade route, and then you run the, the floats past them, right? That's sort of the viewing model. But you can't right. do that in Animal Kingdom. So what I think they can do is make, instead of a parade where the guests are stationary and the props move, make a parade of the guests, move them through the park with integrated lighting effects. So basically the, the core technology I'm going to talk about would be an enhanced lighting package for the whole park, including integrated pathway lighting that is driven by an overarching narrative, you know, which is going to be mostly introducing the various cultures. You can tie that into the animals that are, you know, in various areas. And, and what I would do then is put sub, you know, little small episodic arcs that relate to that story in the stores that you really want to draw guests to. And even in some of the restaurants that you want to draw guests to. So in other words, instead of just trying to occupy people and hope that they stumble into the store, utilize the amazing, beautiful space that you have, tell a story of the culture of the people that interact with all these animals in this land and draw them to these places. Make those, make that shopping experience and make that dining experience part of the story instead of it being a gift shop at the exit sort of thing. And, uh, you know, Animal Kingdom is still, you know, like I said, I think Epcot and it are sort of unique in their specialness, but Epcot's really bruised up and broken, you know, over the years. Animal Kingdom's not. Animal Kingdom is sort of a still, you know, uh, uh, it still is pristine to, to a large degree. Uh, and I think they have a tremendous opportunity to achieve their, you know, revenue earning goals, which I completely understand, but to do so in a way that is truly uh, innovative and where the story and the commerce are connected in a way uh, that you wouldn't see anywhere else in the world. That's what I want to see Disney do. Give me, don't give me these mall experiences. Give me something that is truly revolutionary. They have the talent to do it. Uh, it's just a matter of whether or not they're willing to, uh, you know, to see it through. So I want to go back to something you said because I'm not sure I'm fully understanding it. Are you effectively having the guests going through a parade route? Essentially, I mean, it doesn't. I don't know that I would formally announce it as a parade, but what I would do is instead of having a nighttime show, and the way I'm defining is that is that it starts at a certain time, it yeah, runs yeah. for for a length, and then it ends. Right? I would take, I would make the setting of the show the entire park, and you know, almost like they talked about the light. Remember the redo of Spaceship Earth, where there was going to be the the yeah, light yeah, was yeah. going to be the narrator, something along those lines, where there's you know 
obviously not everybody's going to do this. I'm not deluded into thinking, you know, <laughs> 35,000 people are going to, you know, march and turn. Um, you know, there's going to be some, you know, chaotic component to it where people are not interested in doing this. But it's sort of, to me, like a hybrid between static path lighting, like you see at Epcot, uh, like the Sorcerers of the Magic Kingdom type of game and the, you know, the Compossible stuff. Just sort of creating an experience where there's, there's a linearity to it. Because what Disney really wants to do is... Uh, you don't know, have people go to certain places because they know that that when people go there that their their sales go up. You know that's a reasonable thing for a business to want. Um, but I think that there's organic ways to inspire that type of spending. Um, it's just more complicated to execute than just saying, well, we're going to put a show on between you know nine and nine fifteen uh, because we know that on the way out people are going to buy merch. Like that's that's cheap. That's a you know that's a that's a pretty sloppy way to do it. There's there's better ways to do it. Conceptually, it doesn't have the merchandise component to it, but it's not that far off from the concept of the Osborne Lights in that it yeah, is very something similar. that you can explore uh, the visuals of it. And I don't know whether it means integrating LEDs into all of the storefronts and the trees and environment uh, or not. I don't know what I don't know what the execution would be, but that very well may be the the way to do it. And I think our expectation was that this was something that they were going to do in Pandora and they didn't. Absolutely. That, that was actually in my notes and I didn't mention it, but I, I think this is where, you know, you can tell that my research and thinking about what I was going to say for this, it was on my mind when we were talking earlier, because, you know, a lot of this has to do with expectations and I don't, what I would hate to see Disney do is make some big announcement and have this show up in four years, because yeah. the thing is, Animal Kingdom just can't have an epic nighttime show, right? So if you don't talk about a nighttime show at all, and the park just gets a reputation for a beautiful, fun, engaging place to be after dark, that, that's largely going to be enough, right? If, if, if you're in the park yeah. and you hear everybody around you talk about how cool this place is at night, you're probably going to stay. Uh, you know, it doesn't, right. it, what matters is that they stay, not that they stay for a nighttime show. So instead of trying to fart around with fountains and screens and things that have just <laughs> proven themselves to be interesting, but sort of uh, unreliable and very fickle and subject to, you know, wind and things and, and not very, um, I don't know, dramatic. Um, you know, those things are all, the, the, Liberals of Light is one of those things where it's not, it, it wasn't punitive to experience. I mean, I, I didn't see it in person, but I've watched it online. You know, it wasn't like Epcot Forever where it's like a punishment to, to you, right? <laughs> It, right. It just didn't live up to the expectations that people yeah. have of a, of a Disney nighttime show. And, and it never can. So why? I wasn't offended by it. I was bored. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Whereas Epcot Forever, it felt like I was being pandered to poorly. Yeah. Um, none of that was there. Rivers of Light wasn't interesting enough to even <laughs> result in me having an emotion of disgust like I did with Epcot Forever. Um but I, I definitely think that there's this park just lends itself while it doesn't lend itself to a nighttime experience. If you define it, how they did everywhere else, it is just a beautiful canvas upon which to create something completely new. And that, that is what I truly hope they do. And just to qualify Josh's idea to follow all the rules that you set, Tim, um, he's not completely ignoring the rivers of light theater. He's going to use that seating area as a rest area where guests can take their masks off during the day and uh, <laughs> night during the pandemic. So we'll still utilize the theater on top of his uh, nighttime concept. Relaxation station. Relaxation station. 
and smoke. I, I threw that out there as like something where we should use the theater. I don't know that that's necessarily the case, <laughs> but uh, I one of the things that I like about the show and when we throw out these freeform ideas is that Josh came up with a very good idea there that is presumably going to be totally different. It's definitely totally different than mine, and I assume it's totally different than Ben's as well. It's yep. looking at things. Um, we, we've identified the problem, and so often we've complained that Disney looks at the problem as, hey, we need to put this IP somewhere. Let's force it in here. In this case, the problem that we've identified is a grander scale problem, and Josh, you boiled it down about needing to keep people in the park later. Um, it It is true. It doesn't necessarily have to be a nighttime show. They could use the Dinorama footprint and build in, you know, four more rides that just extend the day. And that also solves the problem. Right. Excuse me. So there are, there and, are, and that there's an area, by the way, not to, and I apologize for interrupting. Uh, j- just be, I, I really do like it when Disney can change something and I can say wholeheartedly, I'm not against this. Yep. Like there's an area where do what you want. You know, I don't care. You couldn't make it worse. That's not a challenge, <laughs> but you know, that's a place that needs to be disrupted. So when a bulldozer is in front of the poly, yeah, I'm nervous. When the bulldozer is in front of Primeval World, uh, yeah, I'm getting a bag of popcorn. Let me watch you tear it down. There was a discussion over on Kingdom Cast about Primeval Whirl and missing it and whatnot, and the uh, uh, the takeaway was that you know kids love it. And don't get me wrong, I understand that there there are parts of these parks that aren't for us; they're for kids. But uh, one of the things that I've said before is that kids will gravitate towards what they can see. In Primeval Whirl, uh, you could see all aspects of the attraction, and that makes it that gives it a comfort level for for kids that means that it's not going to be scary. It's not going to be Space Mountain where they Kids don't know what's Kids are attracted to coming. electrical outlets. So that doesn't mean that we should <laughs> let them play with it. As uh, the, the one thing on our grocery list right now are plug covers for, uh, for electrical outlets because our eight-month-old is getting a little exploratory. But to your point, it is – kids are very visual though in, in what they're looking at. And if you look at the facade of you know, pick your dark ride, they're not going to know what's inside. Um, you add in a character that gives them a little bit of familiarity, but when you're going into something that is free of intellectual property and you can't see what it is before you go on in, you got to trust your parent who's yeah. probably set you up a couple of other times on the trip. And I'm sure, Ben, you've ha- uh, had some sick satisfaction of setting up your girls uh, on attractions, knowing what's to come and knowing that might scare them. But Tower so- of Terror. Yep. You know, Tim, it's funny you say that. I think I've told the story on the show. It's short, but I was pissed the first time I rode Horizons because I thought my grandparents had dragged me into another shop because my mm-hmm. grandma was a shopper. And it's exactly what you said. There was really nothing when you looked at the exterior of that building that would give you any. And it was so cleverly concealed what was in there. Um, you know, I didn't, I had no clue there was a ride in there. So I get it. I mean, I'm even, you know, not guilty of, but I've experienced the things that you're talking about. So I do understand why the company does what it does, but come on primeval world. If there's any, <laughs> if there's any, a time where we can say we've elevated our discussion above opinion, that ride is objectively bad. Yes. Yes. Um, there was, and I, I'm not going to be able to find it in time, but for, uh, a, couple of years, Imagineer Eddie Sato had a thread uh, over on WDW Magic, and he would come in, you know, once a week or so and answer questions. And one of the things he talked about explicitly was the uh, kind of underwhelming facade of Pooh's Honey Hunt. And the idea was to basically blow people away once you're inside because it looks... Nailed it. It, it, yeah. it was... It's just a single uh, open storybook. It's a, it's a flat facade and... 
it's in Fantasyland where you've got your bus bar type attractions, and then this this ride does things that no Fantasyland ride had previously done Great before. Ride. Yep. So it it really was a um, a a, des- a deliberate design choice that these things happen, and I I love hearing that sort of story about why these choices were made. We may go in and it makes sense. It makes sense subconsciously, but it it helps fuel the story. And we're talking about subverting expectations. It did just that. People go in expecting another Winnie the Pooh ride and they've got those in other parks and they're significantly uh, less impressive than what they have in Tokyo. But when when they do that and they have those subverted expectations and then you go in and the ride does what it does, then your mind is blown and it really does satisfy that. So uh, anyway, um, I, I, I like your idea a lot, Josh. It's a, certainly a, a different you. take, but uh, one that I think could also be blended with a traditional show as well. I think you you don't necessarily have to be like, – your idea does not mean that using that theater is off yeah, the table. I'm not banning shows. I'm just saying that the the, the – the gravity that you want to attract your guests can't be, you know, a headline stay in the park for the nine o'clock fight. Like that is not going to fly. You know, I mean, if right. you think of, it's like, well, this is sort of a bad example, but back when the illuminations show was still on the announcer there, you know, it was a very deep voiced voice actor and it was just, you know, you would hear that and you're like, I'm not leaving now. This sounds like it's going to be incredible. Right. And then in Epcot forever, it's like a five-year-old <laughs> don't leave. You know, it's like, all right, well that should, maybe should have been a warning that I actually should have left. Yeah. But, um, you know, Still I, I think that's really the problem is, you know, you can tell guests all day long. We can't have fireworks because of the animals. It doesn't, it doesn't matter. That's right. not, it just doesn't work. No, Especially, if the way moving forward, and obviously we don't know how this is going to be in the long term, but if you're if it's going to be a one park per day experience, um, uh, you know, I, I don't know. Maybe this cuts against the value of my idea. I'm not saying there's a nighttime show. Maybe everybody goes to the parks that have one. But again, if you know, if people pick their day based on the thought that they're going to have a Disney esque fireworks show, and they see Rivers of Light or anything that is even of its ilk, uh, they're not going to be they're not going to be impressed with that. No. The best thing Rivers of Light had going for it was that Epcot Forever also existed. I mean, <laughs> wow! I, that one is of the damning things, with faint praise. <laughs> one of the things I've I've walked out of uh, not walked out of meaning I was angry about it, but when they did Happily Ever After, Wishes ran forever. I was very uh, pleased with Happily Ever After, and I've probably walked out saying something to the effect of Disney always nails their nighttime shows, and then they showed me that that's not always the case yep. with uh, the last couple that they've done. I know that they're that they're capable of it because they've done it very recently. But we we have our own ideas, and uh, why don't we move on to Ben's? I have we'll, one last we'll thought. Go, no, go super for it. short. Thank God those animals are there. Uh, you know, there was nothing intrinsic to Epcot park, that kept <laughs> that kept ops from ruining it. Right, Animal Kingdom is somewhat protected because the the things a lot of what makes Animal Kingdom will remain Animal Kingdom because it's the animals, and if unless they want to get rid of them, they're going to be there. There's just some natural barrier there to keep them from Epcotting that place, which does make me happy. I could see a handful of things happening though to that uh, to that point where they could say, "What what's to stop the the mindset of people that keeping elephants contained in a zoo is any different than keeping orcas contained in a in an aquarium. Well, I, I could, I could see that point. type. I could see that type of logic pushing them away from live animals and towards more animal inspired attractions. But um, hopefully, that's uh, that's 
a ways down the road if, you know, never happens, but um, just something that they have to be aware of, and I'm sure they are, that they've got to be mindful of it. Tiger King the Rod. <laughs> you looking forward to Dancing with the Stars? So, animal-inspired, I'm surprised Ben didn't assume that that was a Muppets reference. <laughs> <laughs> That's another show. That's another one, yep. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so, Ben, what did uh, you come up with for your Animal Kingdom nighttime show idea? Well, now that uh, they own Fox... Uh, I figured there was some way that they needed to recoup some of the money that they invested in into that. Uh, so I came up with the Planet of the Apes nighttime stunt show spectacular. Okay. Wow. <laughs> I'm completely kidding. I just came up with that while Josh was talking. But uh, that would be awesome. Uh, <laughs> Good deadpan delivery. I bought it. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, no, so it's there interesting. There are no bad ideas except that. <laughs> uh, Remember, will, these ideas I, never die. They just get shown. <laughs> I will start off by saying I don't know how they pulled this idea off, but um, this is Disney. They've always created the impossible. So uh, I I put it up to the geniuses in Imagineering to figure out how to pull it off. But, um, you know, I I did definitely stick within the realm of creating a nighttime show in that theater, repurposing what they have there uh, and and respecting the limitations that they have. Uh, you know, first off with the fireworks, not being able to do anything that that way. Uh, I then thought, you know, some of the elements, uh, you know, trying to keep in with the nature theme of Animal Kingdom. What are some of the elements that we could possibly use? You know, you could do something with water, but as Lynn... You're going to do it, a Captain Planet show, aren't you? I'm going totally Captain Planet, which is on <laughs> Fox, so that counts as well. Um, so... Uh, you know, I, I, I did think uh, you completely threw me off for a second. Thanks a lot, Sorry. Kurt. Uh, <laughs> water. So do something with water. But we've seen water everywhere. You see water with Fantasmic. Uh, you you've see, you saw water with Rivers of Light, and it didn't play that well. You had uh, on that episode of Disney Dish, they were talking about how, you know, that's a natural body of water right there. So some of the elements in the water, uh, you know, gunked up some of the stuff that they were trying to do with that show you were you were dealing with some of the elements that you know you'll find in in little marshy areas in in florida that you know might not you don't have those same issues say at california adventure for uh their show and i've gone blank on the name of the freaking show out there you can go ahead and correct me now tim world of color uh where they can manipulate and and man that water uh, much better yep then thank you (laughs) Uh, then they can at Animal Kingdom. So I took water out, not doing anything water-based. Then I was like, fire. Maybe we can get the fire barge from Illuminations if they haven't completely dismantled that. Put that over there. I think somebody something... bought it, actually, not too I did, much. I did, I did your point. Uh, <laughs> you know, somebody who fought against an HOA is like their neighbor has that in their backyard. <laughs> like, you know that happened. <laughs> uh, Linda! <laughs> you know, let's, let's, let's do fire. But I then it in I my neighbor's pool. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, at that point, though, I kind of thought fire was more man than than animal, and for some reason, I disqualified that uh, in my what own head. What if you head. call it man's red flower? Man, you could man's red flower. That would work. Uh, so, for some reason, I went to lasers. The same kind of what Josh mentioned called, lasers. Lasers. No, Thank they're pew pews. No, pew no. pews. Pew pews. Oh god. So. <laughs> I, I, I thought that was that was the that was the tool that we could maybe build around. No fireworks, no fire barges or whatever, no water screens. Is there something we could do with lasers? And is there something that would naturally fit uh, in, in in the real world that we could Tim, manipulate say it again. that tech? 
pew, pew pews? Sharks with freaking laser beams. Sharks attached. with freaking laser beams. Yes. <laughs> it's the only tie in there is, but it's a good uh, one. Uh, and so something hit me that, that I thought could work. Now, granted, it doesn't necessarily fit with the theme of the area, but I also thought we're dealing with an area that's part dinosaur carnival, part yeah. Broadway theater, part Asia. So I kind of went like, screw it. This is a mishmash of whatever here. It doesn't uh, have to fit in Asia. It just kind of has to fit in the park. Right. And so I thought, what if they could do something with lasers that would mimic the Northern Lights? Ooh, okay. I love it. And the yeah. Aurora Borealis. And, you know, the, the, the thought at that point came into my head of like a canopy of light over the audience and over that body of water that would just, it's just a light show with some maybe amazing music to go along That's with That's an awesome it. it's, idea. It's That's pretty damn simple. Thank you. So I also thought, you know, the, 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 the downtown area of Las Vegas, the canopy they have down there where it's essentially the same thing, except it is a physical canopy that goes over the people that stand there. But when you, if you've ever visit, um, Fremont street, people just stand with their heads straight up in the air and their jaws open watching Mm -hmm. lights over their head. That's the kind of thing that I would like to mimic here. How they do it, I'm not 100% sure. Uh, I actually I have to, an idea on how to do it, but I'll let you finish your idea. Well, I went to YouTube and and watched some just, you know, people have videoed the the, the Aurora Borealis and Northern Lights for hours. And they, they've set it to music. And the, the, uh, the settings are like the lights coming off of a snow-capped mountain. And I'm mm-hmm. like, wow, you know what? There's a snow-capped mountain right next to this area. Is that where the light can maybe originate from, shoot back over the audience that's maybe going back towards the parking lot as opposed to going over the animal areas where they're, where they're staying at night? So, again, getting around any issues that lasers might cause animals, uh, you know, to the vast majority of the park. Uh, is there something – yeah, I, I do think you would need something that would have to mimic some kind of screen. Yeah, you need a surface. Shoot, so uh, at that point, I'm like, is there something that you could release like uh, the, the fog, fog, uh, a fog or the, you know, the smoke that you see that uh, that's used in theater productions that's, that that yeah. kind of rolls off the stage. Could you do that at an elevated level that's above an audience and then shoot these lasers across that to 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 use it as your your canvas for right. The video for for the screen that, that that you're directing people's attention to, I do think you know we've all seen it, it wasn't intentional, but the fireworks around World Showcase uh, over the years that have left that smoke that then yep. lasers are shot off yep. and, and it kind of gives you that kind of cool look. That's kind of the. I think that is intentional or was intentional, but yeah. But even at, at a lot of times, it's the way the wind's blowing. Is that smoke yeah, sure. being caught in there? So at that point, it's not intentional, but it still gives you that cool look uh, as you're standing around watching that show. And and those are very basic, in my opinion. Maybe I'm completely wrong, but that's not a you know highly themed laser show. It's laser shooting here and there and and reflecting off of these surfaces that look cool to us, but it's not like. I don't know. I think if they were to think of lasers and a lot of lasers as the main focal point of a show like this, I think they could pull off something really cool. And uh, doing it around the Northern Lights very much keeps the nature theme in play for that park. Uh, And it's something that you don't find in any other park. Nobody else is doing anything like this. So that's that's the direction I went with uh, with trying to create a nighttime show for the Animal Kingdom that would be unique and different and 
maybe something fun that people would stick around and watch. If I were pitching your idea to Imagineering and anyone said that they weren't sure it would work, I would just pull out a Pink Floyd album and be like, these dudes had a 40-year musical career doing the exact same thing. Like, you shine... Now, the legalization of marijuana in Florida might actually go a long way to contribute to this as well, but even without that, you know, (laughs) you you have the right music and a good laser show. I don't care who you are. That's awesome. It would also help traffic at Navi River Journey as well. And it also isn't compa- incompatible with, with my idea. You know, the yep. more the merrier exactly. there. Exactly. Like, perhaps those two could could be uh, combined and, and into a single idea as well. I mean, all of these things don't necessarily need to be uh, – it's not one or the other. They can all right. be, be used uh, together. So we generally talk story on the show, not necessarily the how – of how these things work because we're not engineers. But there is technology that Disney currently uses that could potentially work for Ben's idea. Uh, one is what they're doing in Voyage of the Little Mermaid or what they did in Voyage of the Little Mermaid if it's closed, mm-hmm. where exactly what you said. They've got a fog effect and then they have um, more primitive lasers, but basically giving you the uh, conceit that you're underwater with mm-hmm. lasers. And that is probably a more solid laser to reflect uh, Aurora Borealis like you wanted, as opposed to some of the other things we've seen. The other thing that they've done, and I don't know that there's a stateside application for it, but they use it over in Mystic Manor, is they have uh, very fine screens. Yeah, I was going to say a scrim would work for this too. Yeah. Yeah. So They do it in Spaceship Earth in the Steve Jobs scene, or Steve Wozniak scene. Yeah. Okay, yeah. Um, In this case... They've got it where they've got like a light floating around it. And you know what they also use it, I think, is the uh, new cue for Peter Pan um, for oh, representing yeah. Tinkerbell. Yep. So those types of things, perhaps on a grander scale, could conceivably work as well. So I'm sure that to get it as realistic looking as possible, all these things would need to be fine-tuned like anything. It's not something that like – there's no Aurora Borealis machine that exists currently. <laughs> but I think there is current – You checked Amazon? <laughs> I think there is tech that Disney is currently using that could be adapted for this. Yeah. Not to mention, most people haven't seen the Aurora Borealis. So if it's not yeah. an exact uh, you know, replica, most people aren't going to be like, oh, that's not what it looks like. Uh, no, no, I, I agree. I think that uh, this, again, goes to what I said on the heels of Josh's, that uh, – uh, this idea is totally different than Josh's idea, and it's going to be totally different than mine. Uh, both Josh and Ben shat on the idea of using fountains in the theater construct, so that's exactly what I'm going to do. Uh- <laughs> <laughs> well, and I was going to say, if Joe Rohde's listening and he likes that idea, it's at Real Skipper Ben on Twitter. Uh, drop into my DMs, buddy. There you go. <laughs> and, and if you don't like that one, we can talk out the uh, the Planet of the Apes epic stunt show spectacular. I kind of don't hate that idea either. Let's build on that one as well. We'll uh, we'll, we'll do deep dives <laughs> on all these ideas. And let's and, not totally rule out robotic animals that shoot fireworks out their buttholes. <laughs> not bad. Yeah these these are all these are all very good ideas. If I said shot lasers out their buttholes, Ben would be like, hmm. If you said pew pews, I'd be on board. Pew, pew. It's the Aurora Borealis. <laughs> And we have our show title. <laughs> Aurora Borealis. I don't even know how to spell that. <laughs> Borealis. That's, that's, that's going to create a problem for autocorrect. I can assure you. <laughs> yeah, I'm looking. Microsoft Word has flagged that as not a real word. Interesting. Okay. So I, I wrote an email this morning to someone, and I, I wrote the word double in it. And I realized after I had sent it that my phone autocorrected it to the word douche. Close enough. It was a very unfortunate uh, occurrence. 
So how often do you use the word douche? Than enough? As you say, it doesn't surprise me to use douche so more than It's double. funny you mention that because I was telling somebody I work with about this. And I said, to my knowledge, it's that's a word that I've never actually typed before. So I don't know why it would have, you know, I'm sure that I miss hit a key. But I, I can't imagine what I would have hit that would have led to that. But uh, just uh, public service announcement, beware. The... Uh... <laughs> Yeah, I, I do think we go with uh, Aurora Borealis as the show title. Um, <laughs> bringing this back to the Rivers of Light uh, pitches, one of the things that they broke down on uh, uh, on Jim's show is that they never really got the full version of what, what was anticipated for Rivers of Light. They weren't able to use all of the tech. And we've said it on here as well that if the tech doesn't work, then perhaps this isn't the, the place to showcase it. So we're coming up with ideas that perhaps may be uh, counter uh, or maybe against that that conceit. But uh, I want to go to some of the problems with the technology that we've seen here. Uh, the water screens that they used in Rivers of Light were further away from the crowd and they were angled in such a way that neither yeah. bank of people had a like a full face on head on view of it. Yep. I'm not against water screens. They work in Phantasmic. And yes, there's winds that can make it less effective. But with Phantasmic, what they do is they just have more of them and they're closer. There's enough room there where they can they can do these water screens and have them tell a story and and basically have the same, uh, the same content on different screens that are just angled differently. So you're getting a similar show, if not identical show, uh, depending on where you're sitting. So that was one of the faults of Rivers of Light. It was just poor design of the layout of it. Uh, the other thing that I would like to see in a show like this, we've, we've talked about it for a while. I think they can use drones in a show like this. Yeah. And Perhaps even in uh, in Ben's idea of Aurora Borealis, you can have four drones with a scrim and have That's something projected idea. onto that scrim. Like great all of idea. that is, is a possibility. Um, other things that uh, could be used that I, I think have been underutilized, but we've seen them in the parks. Uh, remember on the backlot tour, before you got on the tram, they would do the uh, uh, the scene where you get soaked. they Blasted yep. water cannons and everything like that. Yep. Why can't we use those water cannons in greater uh, greater use? You can you can create a jarring uh, effect with an explosion from a water cannon. It's not going to piss off animals because they're not in that area. You're just shooting water into the air. I don't think that's too. Uh, it's not a true explosion. It's a burst of water, um, and you're presumably far enough away from any of the animal enclosures where you can get away with something like that. Um, yep. So th this is just just tech that I was thinking of that could be utilized in there. So uh, with that in mind, the idea that I had was something about mythical animals. So I came up with a very shitty title. I will recognize that ahead of time. Mythical Menagerie. But we can come up with a better title later on. And the way that all of these stories are formulated, uh, you could go with a phantasmic type story where you've got a good versus evil conflict. Uh, that would allow for like a best of type scenario, best of mythical animals. You could come up with a few different things where you have a character that is actually a known character kind of introducing the animals. Uh, you could have an event in the first part of the show, opening up a portal, a portal that would introduce some mythical animals. Hell, you could even have Doctor Strange tying this to the multiverse if you wanted to, and having it uh, be a, a version of the universe where these animals exist. 
Alternatively, you could return to the shamans from Rivers of Light. Any of those would be possibilities, but I didn't like any of them. But these are just kind of things in the thought process that I came up with. So what I did, what I did like was tying it back to the Society of Explorers and Adventurers. Uh, Disney hasn't used this enough uh, in Florida, and they kind of use the same idea. I mentioned Mystic Manor earlier on in the show, where they had Lord Henry Mystic and his grandnephew James Mystic in that area. And they bring back uh, artifacts that have some magical powers. So why can't we do the same thing where we have pick your Society of Explorer and Adventurer created character for the Animal Kingdom. And that character brings back a magic seed that uh, plants uh, that you plant as part of the show. And that seed spawns flowers and those flowers spawn the mythical animals. That was kind of my idea for the way to bring all of these together. So much in the same way that Rivers of Light kind of unfolds, this would actually have the the flight component of it that I think Rivers of Light was intended to have. Uh, you could have your mythical animals that can fly, like, uh, you, like Pegasus. You could have unicorns coming around. Pick your mythical animal that can be in there. But one idea that I really liked, and it goes to something that they do in Fantasmic out in Disneyland – is the idea of a boat coming out from backstage and then being taken down by a kraken? Uh, I know Ben, you, or, uh, uh, Josh, you've seen Fantasmic in Florida. Yep. The version in California uh, has a much better scene on a boat where they have like a, a full-on sword fight, and it's great. And it's it's in front of guests, and yes, it's a sword fight with with actors, so it's not something that's like magnified to the extent that so many large props are magnified, but you're still bringing out the, uh, is it the Columbia, Ben, that they bring out? Yeah. Okay, so uh, they bring this out from backstage, and they stage, you know, a three-minute scene on this. So my idea was to have a boat come out. It could be a Pirates of the Caribbean boat, uh, and have the uh, Kraken tentacles basically take it down. And in theory, have it a way where the boat is multiple pieces and could actually be brought underwater. And you can mask this by putting screens up to hide it and then take it off stage. But that was one of the thrills that I thought you could do where you sync it with music. You don't truly need an explosion, but you have a major action take place uh, as part of the story. I don't know. I don't know how deep that lake is, but uh, what you're saying there reminds me a lot of what they used to do at uh, Treasure Island in Las Vegas with the pirate okay. ship battle that a full pirate ship would sail in from uh, yep. around the corner of the resort uh, have a pirate battle out front and it would completely sink underneath the water and it was mesmerizing an amazing yeah. piece of technology so I don't know how deep uh, obviously they were able to man uh, manufacture that lake deep enough to do what they needed to do but uh, I like your idea of having something taken down uh, a massive ship being brought down underwater by a creature would be a uh, quite cool yeah I think all of that is a possibility when you just you, you have to figure out the various tech that does it but I think all of this exists in some form or another um, similarly uh, they've shown that they can use uh, light aircraft like they did at the opening of um, Star Wars Galaxy's Edge where they had the TIE Fighters. Why not utilize that for some of some of the creatures that fly, like a dragon? And the the fire effects on the water, less impressive. When you've got a dragon flying overhead and it you know, torches part of the crowd, that's a little more exciting. Um, so that's, that's kind of my thought, is that use the idea of mythical animals 
to just showcase various technology. Uh, and you can do it. You have a uh, environment to do it. And if you want to tie in a Society of Explorers and Adventures character, I am going to be always for that. Uh, and then you can also use this to go back to Bruce uh, McClintock's suggestion. You can own the Yeti issues and use this as an opportunity to fix them and integrate them into the new show. Like you could have the show ending with a Yeti like running up the crowd and into the mountain, you know, stuff like that. So hmm. that was kind of my 40% of an idea as well. And I think the... Uh, uh, the best part about the way we all handled this is that we didn't come up with anything remotely close to one another yep. and they could all be combined into a single idea. Uh, we can pick and choose ideas from all of them, but I, I do like exercises like this and would welcome any suggestions for, for similar ones. Yeah. I mean, the amazing thing about what you just said is if everyone listening was given the same homework, they probably also would have come up with different ideas. So right, right. Yeah. I'm sure that one of the hardest things that Disney has to do is figure out what to say no to. Um, but that's also kind of a cool problem to have to be, you know, employ some of the most clever storytellers and, you know, creative thinkers in the world and be able to just let them go wild. It really makes me wish it sort of makes the current CEO choice a little more sad because <laughs> you know that these folks are handcuffed a lot more than they would want to be. And I think that's always the case. I don't think they're ever going to get the, you know, the freedom that they want, but it definitely seems like the current uh, administration at Disney is not going to be the ones to really uh, set these folks loose. I have my, uh, my quick story beats and I'm going to go through them. Part one, the uh, C member, that's the Society of Explorers and Adventurers, plants the magic seed. So uh, you can take whatever euphemism you want from that. Uh, seed grows into a flower. <laughs> the flower spawns more unique flowers and magic flowers spawn mythical creatures. Mystical creatures fill the arena. It starts with good creatures like Pegasus, unicorns, etc. Uh, then larger animals emerge and start with destruction. The sea member attempts to corral the mythical creatures. Uh, he gathers them all except the Yeti, which escapes into Expedition Everest. So... There's your story. Too bad uh, Ego was a bad guy in Guardians 2, because this could have been a Ego comes and plants a seed in Animal Kingdom. Well, there you and, go. That's a great idea. Yeah. Why except not? Uh, little do we know, we think we're watching a nice and beautiful show, and what we're doing is being killed by a man posing as a, a planet posing as a man. And <laughs> yes. I'm sure yes. Josh understands Josh everything totally, I just totally said. totally lost here. <laughs> <laughs> this is what Charlie Brown felt like. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Uh, do we have anything else for this week's, months, whatever uh, <laughs> time interval you want to go with show? No? Good. Okay. Uh, if, you have any, <laughs> if you have any questions or topic ideas, you can email us at martycalled at gmail.com. You can also follow us on Twitter under the username at martycalled or join in on the discussions in our Facebook group, facebook.com slash groups slash martycalled. Tim, also- I, I will say one thing before you get to that last part. I'm sorry I interrupted you, you right at a bad time. Uh, we do have some other questions from this episode, but if we didn't read them, it's because we're tabling them for yes, further true. discussions down the road. So thank you for submitting if you didn't hear your name today it's because you're probably going to get a bigger uh chunk of us uh here in the few uh coming weeks and months. just what everyone wants <laughs> yes yes bigger <laughs> chunks baby thank you ben we'd also appreciate our listeners bookmarking our amazon affiliate links over on martycall.com you can use that for all of your labor day purchases uh it doesn't cost you anything but helps fund the show with purchases you're going to make anyway ben where can we find you online Find me on Twitter at RealSkipperBen, and you can find my top 10 columns in every issue of Attractions Magazine. Josh, same question. Uh, utilidors.com. Um, that's about it. <laughs> and you can wow. find me, wdwtheme at wdwtheme on Twitter. 
Thanks for listening, everybody. Good night. Wakanda forever. Have fun in the Aurora Borealis. time that you made a joke about the roller coaster going into islands of adventure and i didn't get it that was fun (laughs) that was awesome (laughs) i think i cleaned it up a little bit so you didn't sound like a total idiot you just were self-aware of the fact that you didn't know what we were talking about i appreciate it is what i uh, put on there you'll sound like an idiot now when we play this at the end of the show today though (laughs) (laughs) josh didn't know about a ride yeah there's plenty josh doesn't know i know less than scotty who's scotty Oh, now who's the jack off dumbass Scotty doesn't know that Fiona <laughs> and, and me do it, do it in my van every Sunday he thinks it's easy in church, church but yeah, she no really made me something about. on her knees <laughs> Scotty doesn't know Scotty doesn't know Scotty doesn't know go, you know go. who does know Ben knows and Josh knows Tim is that some know. of that new pop music you kids are listening to <laughs> is that yeah. rock or is that the rock or the roll is that the one that has both <laughs> what was that which, which movie was that that was uh Eurotrip Eurotrip. Yeah. Go yeah. go look up Scotty Doesn't Know on YouTube after the show. Oh, that, it's it, fucking Matt Damon. Uh, Matt Damon. Yeah. Is he from like your neighborhood? Yeah. He's, got he a, he's having he's an from, outage right now, too. Don't you live in <laughs> Southie? Not quite. <laughs> we actually rewatched uh, Good Will Hunting the other day. It's a fun movie. He says oh, so. I lost you guys there. R.I.P. Rob, <laughs> Robin Williams. I'll say it's fine. <laughs> ben, are you recording yet? I, I am. <laughs> I've recorded all of this. <laughs> I'm glad we've got this together. We've got a wonderful dismount uh, for the post show. <laughs> this is fantastic. Is that a technical term or is that a rodeo term? Just, like, just I, rodeo. I, I, That's what we call it down here in Texas. <laughs> <laughs> All right, no, I'm going to start the show now if you guys don't mind. <laughs> <laughs>